welcome to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason, where they share the latest manufacturing and tech news and explore innovative solutions to help you improve your business. Albert Einstein once said, the world as we have created it is a process of our thinking, cannot be changed without changing our thinking. In the realm of supply chain management and artificial intelligence, changing our thinking is not just an option, it's a necessity for both survival and growth. You're listening to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane Williams and Paul Mason. Today's guest is Elton Brown, an industry advisor with a wealth of knowledge in emerging digital supply chain technologies, who also serves as an adjunct lecturer at the University of Sydney, where he enlightens minds on the foundations of intelligent supply chain management. In this episode, we explore Elton's perspective on the polarizing debate amongst Aussie manufacturers about the role of AI in supply chain management, some compelling examples of good and effective use of AI in supply chain planning and optimization, and the common pitfalls and misconceptions when integrating AI into supply chain planning and how to steer clear of them. So whether you're a skeptic or a believer in the power of AI, this episode will offer you valuable insights and practical steps to start leveraging AI in your supply chain planning and optimization. We trust you'll enjoy the interview. Alton, welcome to Manufacturing Tech Australia and thanks for coming on the show. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. We wanted to get you on the show today, Alton, to chat about your experience with supply chain and, and especially AI in supply chain because what we've seen in our experience, manufacturers in Australia generally fall into two camps. One is that they don't really want to talk about AI and think maybe it's a bit of a hype at the moment. And the other camps really, it's a fait accompli and, and it's going to replace humans. So. Shane and I have been chatting about this and we think both camps are probably a bit off when we think that it's more probable that AI won't completely replace humans, but at the same time, we won't be able to live without it shortly in the way that it augments our decision-making and makes work a bit easier and more productive for everyone. So I guess you're the expert in this topic. Maybe give us a bit of a rundown of what your thoughts are on this. That is a huge question, but a great one to ponder today. In my view, I totally agree. AI won't take our jobs. AI will change our job descriptions. And if I could expand on that a little bit, here in Australia, because of the high labor costs and the long lead times that we have for getting products into our countries, it's a huge opportunity for us to use AI more than average, certainly more than most countries, particularly in manufacturing. And I think if we thought that AI was not going to change the way we work, then we put our head in the sand because most of us use smartphones. Most of us use cars that have AI. Most of us have used Google Maps or Waze or Apple Maps or applications that can make really smart predictions thousands of times faster than humans can make them. We're all using it. And, and anyone who is in a manufacturing business in Australia is using AI. They may not know it. They may be missing out on huge opportunities if they're not using it as, as much as they could. Definitely. And I think we've seen AI used in a bunch of different things, but yeah, I guess in the consumer land, it's much more obvious and prevalent, but in manufacturing, I guess people are still trying to get their head around where it actually fits in. Is it just in these kind of vision systems? Is it being used in the software that we use? That's probably the, the most obvious one, but do you have any uh, examples, Alton, that use maybe a couple of basic ones in manufacturing where people may not have thought of where it's already there, that they're, they're already using it? Let's trim it down to maybe a small list today. And if, if you're listening to this and you're not a manufacturer and you're a retailer or a distributor in Australia, then you are part of a manufacturing supply chain anyway, because your suppliers are probably manufacturers. And AI has really driven 
uh, extended supply chains and collaboration. So if you have digitalized any of your planning functions and you're collaborating with suppliers, then you're in a manufacturing supply chain and, and your suppliers are probably using AI for, for all sorts of things. And in fact, more than half of the worldwide GDP is now driven by digitally transformed enterprises and they all have AI. So chances are, if you're eating or consuming or using something as a consumer, AI helped get it onto your plate or into your hand. And in fact, within the next year and a half or less, so by 2025, according to IDC, 90% of applications that we use in enterprise actually will have embedded AI capabilities. So we're already close to that now. So a lot of applications that we might be using have AI. We may not be using it. We may not be using it very well, but a lot of the time we're using it and not necessarily knowing it's AI. And some of the examples are at what price should I sell something to the retailer if I'm a manufacturer? What's the right price that that drives the right amount of demand but gives me the right profit? So we might think of that as a price elasticity calculation, which is a curve. It used to be that simple, but pricing is so complex now that there are millions of calculations made with dozens or hundreds of input variables around competitor pricing, demand levels, seasonality, and all sorts of inputs that can drive optimized pricing. But if you're a manufacturer in Australia, then you're probably familiar with things like inventory optimization. What's the right amount of inventory that I should hold to trade off between service levels and working capital. And that is a complex calculation, which is sometimes called an exchange curve or an efficient frontier. But the trade-off between those two, which are two out of the three elements in the supply chain triangle, is getting more and more complex to calculate. But also when I send an order over to my scheduler in the factory, what's the right quantity to make? So what is the economic order quantity or what's the right quantity to buy of my packaging or my raw materials? I need to trade off things like the cost of holding inventory versus the cost of ordering more often and holding less inventory. And humans can make those calculations, but they'll probably use things like emotion and they might miss some input variables. I might make some mistakes. AI can do it flawlessly and in milliseconds. So that's safety stocks, economic order quantities, pricing. There's also a bunch of things Australian manufacturers are doing using AI, like calculating how do I order the right amount of packaging and raw materials from a vendor where they've put complex rules on me. I need to order a certain amount worth in dollars, units, maybe kilograms, maybe pallets, maybe containers. So I have multiple tiers I'm trying to reach. How do I reach that? And how do I send it into my state warehouses when I've got a single minimum put on me by a single vendor? And then how do I fill containers? Uh, what's the best way to fill my trucks, trains, or planes? Should I drop the last container if I need six and a half? Do I only buy six or do I buy seven? If I buy seven, how do I fill that last container? AI can do that in milliseconds. Humans can do it in spreadsheets and take minutes or hours to do it. Makes me think about some of the conversations I've had with manufacturers and talking around supply chain. I think typically if we talk about it, we can get you tools that are going to make these calculations quicker and make things more efficient. There seems to be like this mental barrier between when stuff lands in my facility and when stuff leaves, I'm comfortable to use tools that make me more efficient to solve that bit because it's my data and I come up with some sort of optimization. But as soon as you talk about supply chain, which starts further up the stream and ends further down the stream, 
And you mentioned collaboration and the ability that's when you're going to get the real value out of some of these tools. You just see deer in headlights and this fear of, if I share this information, someone's going to have some sort of competitive advantage over me that I don't want to give them an edge. And do you see that? And do you think it's a legitimate fear or what does good look like? How do we get past that to setting the picture for, if you can just get past that, this is great. How does that work? In the areas of collaboration, a couple of decades ago, I fell into supply chain planning when I started my career uh, 27 years ago. And what fascinated me was all of these movements in Australia and Europe and US around uh, collaborative planning and how to share data and why we should share data and how we can all benefit from it. And there was uh, a lot of benefits touted from the vendors and from the analysts. And CPFR or Collaborative Planning Forecasting Replenishment was one of the most popular at the time. And it seemed like we were really restricted in how we could access data and share it between our enterprises, partly because companies monetize data. As soon as you monetize something and increase the value on it, then tend to want it. Supply chains tend to want it and the price goes up further. And for manufacturers in Australia that they'd be familiar with the amount of money it costs to get a subscription to syndicated data, to see the sales from their customers to their customers. If you're a manufacturer, that could mean scan data or pause data or sellout data from retailers, but also from distribution channels. And that kind of data is very expensive. Most manufacturers that are medium or large in Australia now have access to that, but they don't know how to use it because the AI is there, but the AI is not being used well in a way to augment multiple data streams all at once and present it very intelligently to a team of planners. Because most planners have been educated on things like statistical modeling, using time series, using a single data stream. I must look backwards to be able to predict what's going to happen in the future. And that doesn't work so much anymore. As we've seen in the last few years, history doesn't allow us to predict our future so well. So maybe just following on that theme then, what are some other mistakes people make when they're thinking about adopting these sorts of technologies? Probably the top mistakes are trust and responsibilities. And when I say AI, I'm not really mostly talking about things like generalized AI, which is what in the movies that needs to pass the Turing test, will it overtake humanity? Maybe. And I'm not normally talking about generalized AI, which has become quite trendy in the last 12 to 18 months, thanks to systems and platforms like ChatGPT. Because most of the AI used in supply chains is narrow AI or specific AI. So same thing, different terminology. And, and with narrow AI, we need these cognitive systems or AI platforms to do their bits really well, which is things like locating data, finding insights, running machine learning models over data to make predictions, running complex algorithms over data, removing bias that might be found in the data and or in the human inputs. And we need the responsibilities of the humans to be really clear. And in the context of supply chain, those responsibilities are typically things like, I need to be able to apply common sense to the output. I need to apply generalization because humans are great at generalizing and applying common sense and getting creative. So I need to be the one to be creative while the AI does its work. I need to solve the dilemmas as a human. I need to take subjective action when I have the objective outputs from the AI. And I need to provide 
It will apply abstraction to the problem as a human. And so when we think about it like that, if we allow the AI to do its work without all of those human responsibilities, it's not going to work all of the time. If we allow the human to do its work without trusting the AI to do its bits, we won't get the outputs we need, which is what leads me to the trust. So that's probably the, the second biggest problem I see. When we put AI, narrow AI for supply chain and manufacturing in the hands of humans, normally planners and schedulers, and maybe data scientists and analysts, then there's often this journey or curve around trust. Why should I trust a machine to get me outputs when I or my team have been doing it this way for years? And that is a journey. And change management is absolutely essential. If you have good change management uh, and you work well with the vendors or the consultants or uh, analysts or integrators to clearly define the use cases and the responsibilities that we just talked about and get the feedback from the vendors and the integrators because they've been doing this for years or decades, I mean, they can always fine tune with you things like, what are the real use cases? We need to be really specific on those responsibilities and good change management, and then we'll get the trust. It won't be overnight. Sometimes trust in really comprehensive AI for manufacturing can take months or years. And we spoke a bit about some of those mistakes and issues that, that people need to address. I'm just thinking around the perceptions around AI and maybe misconceptions around what businesses are thinking. Is it too hard? Is it I don't have the data. I don't have the capability. What do you think are some of those ways that can get businesses to, to jump in and put their toes in the water and just get started in this space? Good question. There's a few things that the manufacturers in Australia and around the globe can do to get into this faster than they think. One is talk to their peers, speak with others that have been doing this. Look at some case studies. Look at what people have done when the Suez Canal was no longer in operation. When major suppliers shut down in China and other parts of Asia during the pandemic, and look at the decisions that were made by similar companies in a short amount of time and, and how they did that. And if they go and speak with their, their peers or, or similar companies, not competitive, of course, most of the time, that they'll see that there's typically some common themes. And some of those are the business has a culture that sees itself as either agile or resilient or both, which can coexist. That's another great discussion. Or even anti-fragile, which is becoming a more popular word. It's around strengthening your supply chain as you come through a disruption or interruption. If you look at some of the examples of, of what has happened when huge disruptions have occurred. And, and I think it was McKinsey last year that just said that any disruption of uh, supply for uh, 100 days, which has happened over the last couple of years, will wipe out more than a year's earnings in total uh, for any company that has any complex supply chain. And because lead times are so long in countries like Australia, there are so many great examples of companies analyzing huge amounts of input variables in a short amount of time when a disruption occurs. And they'll hear them saying things like, we were able to conduct an IBP meeting, an integrated business plan meeting, using our AI platform. And we were able to evaluate five or 10 or 15 major scenarios. Should we do things like substitute for other components when our suppliers shut down or can't get product out of the country? Should we sell alternative products to our customers? Should we source locally? Should we make instead of buy for our raw materials and packaging or buy instead of make for our manufactured product? 
Should we contract manufacture for a period of time? Should we outsource third-party storage to allow us to store more product? How do we change our lead time policies? How do we consider things like lead time variability? How do we provide demand shaping strategies that influence the demand up or down using things like pricing and promotion and restricting product in certain channels? So customer allocation has been a, a huge thing over the last few years for a lot of Australian companies. Should we cancel some customer orders because they weren't collaborative and they're ordering more than they forecasted? And is that good or bad? And what are the kind of advanced heuristics we use around allocating products to customers? Those kind of stories and how they were able to do that in just a few meetings in a few days to make decisions six, 12, eight, 18 weeks from now based on our long lead times will give a lot of confidence to Australian manufacturers, but they should also talk to the vendors because most enterprise in Australia has a transaction system or an ERP system, maybe a warehouse management system, a BI system, and potentially other systems like financial planning and analysis. And those vendors, if they don't have AI, they will be working on AI. And the future release will have AI. So talk to your vendors. And if your vendor doesn't have it, then a simple way of getting AI in quickly is hire a data scientist. That's probably a role that didn't exist much that we knew about 10 or 15 years ago. But data scientists nowadays tend to have PhDs, some of them, in complex areas like maybe astrophysics, for example. And there's a huge demand for data scientists. So we're seeing data scientists with uh, a variety of backgrounds moving into these roles. And they come from a coding background. And coding nowadays tends to be AI coding. It's not necessarily apps for your mobile phones. You can outsource that quite cheaply. And if you don't know where to start on where to apply the AI, then go to some of the classics, something like the Gartner hierarchy of supply chain metrics. Because that'll tell you that pyramid, you need to start from the top. And right at the top of that pyramid is the demand forecast. If you're not using AI in forecasting your demand or your sales, then that's probably the place to start before you move on to things like orders and perfect orders and service levels and cash to cash and inventory optimization. I'm glad you touched on the vendors there, Alton, because I think that's an important point that in some cases, businesses may not need to actually employ the AI themselves because you've got smart ERP packages, especially Microsoft now that, you know, with their generative chat functions, Copilot built in, ask it a question, give me a report on XYZ, show me the biggest sales for the last month or the last two years. Those kind of great functions built in and, and even some of the marketing and sales, CRMs, all that kind of stuff now having their own AI built in is like a great place to start, see what they're working on as learn from what's already out there and what you might already be using that you don't even know has AI in it. Well, I guess that's probably a good place to start as well. I agree, Paul. If you look at the spending guide that IDC publish each year, last year it said that the highest growth area for spending on software is in analytics and AI software. So the spend is there because the vendors are doing the work. And I'm glad you mentioned generative AI because if we were chatting 12 months ago, we would have thought generative AI probably doesn't have any place in supply chain yet, but some vendors are already integrating generative AI into supply chain. And it has huge advantage because you don't need to know necessarily what to ask to find an answer. Because in the old context of advanced analytics, you need to know where to go to find your analytics 
find your dashboards, where to click, how to apply my filters, my drill downs and ups, maybe some drag and drops to try and find the answer I need. So you need to know which question to ask. Whereas with generative AI, you can simply interact using a natural language interface with your supply chain applications and say, why wasn't my demand in line with my forecast last week? Oh, you're pushing more out into this channel and less into this channel. These products actually have high growth. Your competitors were promoting some products that have cannibalized some demand from your low growth items. And we're going through a, a seasonal dip, but we've got some events coming up that next month, which are going to over consume the inventory that you now have piled up as a result of underselling. So that's really exciting in the next 12 to 24 months. Planners will be able to be basically led by the machine on what to do next without knowing which question to ask. Interesting point you make around people starting to be led by the machine. Brings me back to an earlier point that you made around interpreting the information and applying human logic over the top. Very easy for the machine to say, hey, you know what, this particular customer is not profitable, you should just cut them loose. But the logic of the experienced account manager to go, yeah, but that particular customer happens to be the chair of the association of which all of our customers are members and we really don't want to upset that guy. That would be something the computer's probably not aware of. That would be an interesting element to augmenting what the systems are telling you, right? Not just being blindly led by the tech. I agree. Yeah, I think you found the reason why companies are nervous to adopt a digital supply chain twin. Because we all know perfection is the enemy of progress. And there's this expectation, I think, from large enterprise and medium that if I'm going to model my supply chain so it can make all the decisions for me, then it needs to be perfect. And we'll never get that. And that's a great example you made, Shane. We can maybe model who our customers are, what are the products they're buying and at what price and predict what they're going to buy in the future. But there's always going to be some factors or variables or data that we didn't model because we didn't know about it. And the law of diminishing returns says, why would I bother spending all day and night trying to model every single variable when I could model 90% of it in 20% of the time and then apply my, my human input over the top? So don't chase perfection when it comes to modeling and digitalizing our supply chains. I think it's like the old 80-20 rule, Alton, where if you focus on that, 80% of the issues are probably 20% of your customers or your 20% of your supply chain, whatever it happens to be, focusing on that part and to use that human element and the AI to augment that to make better decisions, right? Absolutely. A really classic example that's been around for a long time is where companies grow from being a small enterprise to medium and they're planning their sales or demand by location or warehouse or channel and they make the decision to get closer to the customer and say, okay, I've got a half a million forecasts already and I want to now forecast by customer. I have 200 customers. I'm going to go to millions of forecasts and I want to do it with the same amount of planners. That's impossible. You, you could try, but the quality of your outputs is going to go downhill. And so what companies normally do is they say, these 20 customers represent 90% of my demand. I'm going to plan for those. I'm going to collaborate with them. Everything else I can lump into their own customer group. And I will let the AI run on that customer group. I don't need to intervene. I don't need to annoy my business 
development managers or sales managers with those customers, the AI will be good enough because they only represent a small proportion of my business. So AI is not only good for automating things that we don't like to do as humans and providing more accuracy, but it's also great for doing the things that we don't want to do because we know we may not get the return for our time. Elton, I'm curious, if I'm look, looking forward to the future, the next five years in supply chain, what is my job as a supply chain manager? What does that look like? Picture yourself as a supply chain planner, supply chain manager, demand manager, demand planner. But your title's probably different in five years from now. You could be a supply chain business analyst, a data analyst, a data scientist. So those things that you may be doing now around gathering data and analyzing it, massaging it, sharing it around with other people. Imagine most of that is gone. So you wake up in the morning, you you roll over, you check your phone. I'm not encouraging checking your phone first thing in the morning, but imagine you do because many of us do. You open your AI supply chain app. It tells you the top five things you need to focus on today based on what's happened overnight. So it's already updated the digital supply chain twin. It's recognized sales stock and orders for every item, for every location, for every supplier, for every customer. It has recalculated every single plan of how much you need to make, buy, and move for every one of those combinations. It has prioritized them for you. And so let's say you catch the train or the bus to work. While you're on there, you're able to use your headset with your microphone or your Google glasses. You probably have the integrated microphone with the phone conduction technology. And you're talking to your AI chain app and giving it feedback, top five priorities for today. It's recalculating and reanalyzing and presenting you with multiple scenarios. By the time you arrive to the office, your first meeting of the day is probably the equivalent of what used to be maybe an executive SNOP review where you're analyzing the, the upside and the downside and agreeing on which scenario to implement. Maybe SNOP in terms of a, a rigid monthly process has been removed and it's transformed into some other kind of monthly process. And instead, that first meeting of your day is to instantly solve all of those problems by implementing the right scenario. And the list of scenarios that the AI came up with gave you the highest profit scenario, the highest revenue scenario, the highest customer retention, medium and long-term scenario, the lowest inventory scenario. So there's many competing objectives there, and each of those can be prioritized and reprioritized. And the machine learning learns to understand what is more important to this company, what is more important to this planner, what's more important for this range of products or for this plant or this warehouse. So it can suggest the best scenario. So if you look at the hype cycle for Gartner's supply chain technologies, you will see that there are things around analytics using terminology we've not heard of before, and also scenario, automatic scenario creation and automatic scenario selection based on machine learning. And the rest of your day, of course, we'd like to think you could play golf, but we all know the truth. The rest of the day will be spent fighting the fires, but you'll at least know that the fires have been minimized and the best plan has been put in place with just a few minutes or a few hours worth. Definitely. And that model that you're building, it keeps on learning from your preferences and as the inputs change and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's not just static. So Elton, we're about just about out of time today, mate. We really appreciate you coming on the show. And so I guess to summarize today, if I'm an SME out there, I really got to start talking 
to vendors, talking to those software providers and, and app providers that are doing all this smart AI stuff already, learn what they're doing, how I can leverage that. Also start to understand where I can apply it in my business, maybe looking, as you mentioned before, looking at demand forecasting, things like that, the sort of obvious stuff that's really going to make a big difference. I guess what else have I left out there, Elton? Yeah, that's a great summary, Paul. I would just add that if you've got a, a business analyst in your business that is not using or implementing AI right now, put them on a course, get them trained up in AI, or if you have the budget, hire a data scientist that has expertise in AI because most of them do nowadays. And make sure that when you're using and implementing AI, that you think of those two most common errors, get the responsibilities right so that the human and the machine can work well together and then get that trust improving over time while making sure the responsibilities are well-defined and having great change management. Excellent. Thanks again for coming on the show, Elton, and uh, I'm sure we'll chat soon. Thanks, Paul and Shane, for having me. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Manufacturing Tech Australia with Shane and Paul, recorded on the traditional lands of the Bunurong and Wurundjeri people. For more information, jump on the manufacturingtech.au website. Remember to hit the follow button to join us again next time as we continue to explore the intersection of manufacturing and technology.